0: you're just joining us. My name is Adam Bowers, and I'm the senior pastor here at First Free Church. Thank you for joining us for Church Online today. Earlier, I talked about our response to the coronavirus and what we are doing here to be careful about that, and part of that is just meeting online as a church today. But I want to let you know that if you are watching online and it would be helpful for you to read along in a different language, we always offer that to you, and you can still do that. So, you can go to onehub.church, Normally you could go to efree.org translate, but our website is kind of overloaded right now, so we've set up an alternate place you can go. Onehub.church has all of the links. It's just spelled out O-N-E-Church, or O-N-E-Hub.Church, and you can go there and choose the language that is most helpful for you. I'm gonna start off today with a story I heard about two little boys who were really excited to get some pancakes. Their mom was making pancakes for breakfast and they could not wait to get it. And so they were fired up about it and they actually started to fight about it because they wanted to see who was gonna get the first pancake. And I'm sure that's really hard for you parents to imagine your kids fighting over something so silly, but that's what these boys were doing. And so, their mom was getting more and more frustrated by this, and realizing that she was trying to work hard to respond more calmly and to use these as teachable moments, she had an idea. She got their attention, and she said, boys, 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 hold on, hold on. Imagine if Jesus were in your position right now. What what if one of you were Jesus? What would he say? I think Jesus would say, you know what? Let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And the older brother immediately turned to the younger brother and said, okay, you be Jesus. I think a lot of times we are like those little boys fighting over things because we can be so selfish. Deep down inside, there is a, there's a selfish side of me that wants to be first, that wants to get my own way, that wants to just look out for number one. And the truth is this tendency towards selfishness really shows up in our churches with our beliefs as well. We can actually be selfish based on what we believe. We want to get our own way. Sometimes it's more important for us to be proven right and to win than it is for us to actually find out the truth or listen carefully to what someone else believes. Because of this natural tendency towards selfishness, when I take a position on a belief, it can be really, really hard to change that position. Isn't that true for you? When we take a position on something and we're convinced about it, it's really, really hard for us to give that up, not just because we haven't seen enough evidence, but sometimes just because this is what I believe, and I'm going to hold on to this, and it's going to be really, really hard for you to change my mind. Now, that can be a good thing, or that can be a bad thing, because if it's an important belief, we want to hold that tightly. It should be hard to change our minds, but some beliefs aren't nearly as important. We've been talking about that for weeks now. And on some of those less important beliefs, if we don't learn how to categorize our beliefs correctly, it can be really hard for us to have respectful conversations with people when we disagree. I'm sure you've experienced this before, and it causes a lot of problems in our churches. What I've seen is that in churches, most of the division that occurs over belief happens not over big dogma, gospel, doctrine issues it usually happens over much simpler things. In fact, a lot of times, something that has absolutely no spiritual importance at all, although people might think that it does, people take simpler, less important issues like their preferences, and they treat them like much bigger, more important things. We, we like to hold on to our traditions and our preferences and our convictions, and, and if we treat those as more important than someone else's, we can have problems and conflict and division. And if those people disagree with us, we might get personally offended by that. If they disagree with us on our preference and they have a different preference and they fight for their preference or their tradition or or whatever, then sometimes we can start to judge them. And, And we might even gossip about them and talk negatively behind their back or lash out at them. And why do we do that? It's because we are selfish. We are deep down inside selfish people and we want things our way. There's a pastor I follow online, his name is Eric Reed, and he posted a tweet recently that I thought was really, really insightful. I'm going to share it with you. He said, in all my years of pastoring, I have learned this lesson. A person's spiritual maturity is not truly visible until they don't get their way. Then you see the person. You know, I have found that to be really true in many different churches. And hey, if I'm being honest, that's, that's true of me as well many times. There are times when I just want to get my way and I have to check my attitude and my response to things to, to make sure that I'm not just being selfish when I don't get my way. So, what do we do about this? What can you and I do to make sure— that even though we have different preferences and, and things that we want to see happen, whether it's in the, in the church or in our communities or in our homes or whatever it is, that that doesn't cause division, that that doesn't end up dividing us in a, in a way that doesn't honor God. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Undivided. And this Undivided series is teaching us how to have an undivided mindset. It's, it's answering questions like, how do we stay united and live in harmony even when we have lots of disagreements? How do we determine what's a more important belief and what's a less important belief? What's essential and what's non-essential? When is it necessary to, to divide? When is it a good thing for us to divide? And then how can we have respectful conversations with people even when we have different views from each other? And most of those questions have been answered now as we've talked through the different buckets. We've talked about the dogma bucket. That's the the core of what we believe, the gospel message, those things that are essential to being a follower of Jesus Christ. That goes in what we call the dogma bucket. And we've talked about the doctrine bucket, a little bigger than that. These are those beliefs that a church or a group of Christians come together and say, these are important, we believe these are true, these are essential for unity and fellowship in this group right here. That's the doctrine bucket. And then we get a little wider to the conviction bucket. And those are our personal beliefs that are based on scripture or the leading of the Holy Spirit or some personal spiritual reasoning of of some kind, and all of those are, are seen in scripture, those personal convictions that we talked about last week are things that God expects us to follow, but we can't expect anyone else to follow. They are personal convictions. Paul talks about them in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. So today, we're going to talk about the last bucket. That's the preference bucket. What types of things go into this bucket, and what do we do when we disagree on them, as we often do? How do we handle our selfishness with our preferences? First, let's just define the preference bucket. We talk about preferences this way. They're personal opinions that are not based on the Bible or the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the distinction. There's not a spiritual reason for a preference. It's just, hey, I like this thing better than this thing. Uh, Some of us have a preference about styles of music or the types of clothes that we wear or uh, the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls or the car that we drive. When I opened up this series, I talked about the fact that preferences are really beliefs. A preference is a belief that this thing is better than this thing, so I, I believe that chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. That's my preference. I have a preference for chocolate ice cream. I I wonder how many of you share the exact same preference, or maybe you prefer vanilla or butter pecan or mint chocolate chip or some other type of ice cream. That's because you believe for you that is better than other options. That is a preference. You have a preference for that thing. The apostle Paul had preferences too. In fact, he shared some with us. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talked about his preference that everyone would stay single just as he was. Now, thankfully, he was abundantly clear that was just a preference. And he talks about the fact that God gives some people the gift of singleness, and he gives some people the gift of marriage. And both of those are, are great, and they're wonderful, and they're gifts from God. And he says, my preferences, I wish that everyone were single just like me. Because then they could spend all of their time doing ministry, just like I am. And they wouldn't have to worry about a wife and kids and other things like that, any kind of family stuff, just go ministry full bore all the time. But he said that was his preference, not a command, not something he expected other people to follow. We all have different preferences about all sorts of different things. So the question is, with our different preferences, is that okay? What do we do about them? Can we talk about them? Can we disagree about them? And how do we do that without showing selfishness? How do we do that without having conflict? How do we do that and still be in harmony and unity with each other? If you've got a Bible handy somewhere near you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. You can also follow along at efree.org slash Bible or in the UVersion Bible app. I mentioned earlier that our website is being overloaded right now. So if you need to, you can just go to the YouVersion Bible app, look under events, and you'll find First Free Church there. You can follow along right there. I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 1 of Philippians. Paul says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And you'll notice here that these are all rhetorical questions, right? He's not actually expecting any kind of response here. Paul loves rhetorical questions. He uses them all the time. In in Romans, he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He doesn't actually expect an answer there. It's just a rhetorical question. And he does this because he's trying to set up a point. He's trying to say that something is going to be obvious here about what he's saying. There's something basic That the Philippian believers are are missing it and kind of messing up in their Christian community. And he wants them to get this right, but he wants them to know: hey, this is this is basic, this is essential, this is something that that you really ought to have if these things are true. If is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Well, yeah, I I should hope so. Is there any comfort from the love of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to say, Yes, I, I have been comforted by Jesus' love. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, okay. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, I know I'm supposed to say yes. These are all rhetorical questions so that Paul can say, this is supposed to be true for every follower of Jesus. This is not optional. This is not the type of thing where some people can opt out and say, well, that's just not my personality. That's just not the way I am. I'm this type of person. No, this is supposed to be true for every single follower of Jesus. And here's what he says. Then make me truly happy then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. One of the things I love about Paul's writing here is that he kind of opens up his emotions a little bit. He's not just saying, here's what God wants you to do. He's saying, make me truly happy. It's almost like, hey, hey, do this for Paul, guys. You know, do this for me. You know me. We have a close relationship. Would you make me truly happy in this? I mean, God wants you to do this, but I really want you to do this too. Would you do this for Paul? Agree wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another. Work together with one mind and one purpose. Sometimes it's easy to think of the Apostle Paul as being this super Christian who sort of was able to separate his emotions from from the the logic of the world and and his mission and what he was doing on his missionary journeys and and forget the fact that he was a human with real, raw emotions. And he loved these people. He cared about them. And when they were doing good, he rejoiced. And when they were messing up, it grieved him. And so he's saying, hey, help me out emotionally here. Make me happy by doing these things. You, You care about me, make me happy by this. Because these are people that he cares about. Not long ago Paul was on one of his missionary journeys his second journey he's traveling north uh, up through or up, up toward Asia the, prov- the Roman province of Asia toward Bithynia and as he's heading up there God redirects him to go to a port city called Troas And from Troas, he receives this vision of a man from Macedonia, a vision that that God sent him of this man saying, Come and share the gospel with us, bring the good news to us. And so Paul and his team, they head over up to Europe and they bring the gospel to Europe. And one of the cities they go to is Philippi. And there in Philippi, they, they make some great friends. He sees a lot of people trust in Jesus, he ends up getting thrown in jail. God miraculously frees him from jail. The jailer ends up with his family becoming followers of Jesus, and he has this incredible uh, group of people there, a team of of people that are formed that reach out with the gospel. An incredible evangelistic witness happens in Philippi, and these people are dear and close to Paul. They, They labored closely alongside of him. He talks about it elsewhere. And so Paul knows these people well and he cares about them. He has all these incredible experiences and memories of this church in Philippi. And now that they're struggling, it it grieves him. It makes him sad. He knows two of these women in particular that are fighting with each other. And he writes about them later on in this letter. Their, Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. And Euodia and Syntyche had some disagreement with each other. There was something that was so big that word got back to Paul. Paul had worked with these two women closely. They, they were evangelists with him. They helped to spread the gospel. He cared about these people. And so he writes about them at the end of this letter because these two are fighting with each other. And he says, and I want you, as I read this, I want you to do something here. I want you to see if you can pick up on what their disagreement was. So I'm gonna read this verse. You see if you can figure out what are they disagreeing about. Philippians 4.2, now I appeal to you, Odia and Syntyche, please, Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Did you catch it? Did you see what their disagreement was? Because I really, I don't know. I don't see it. He doesn't say what they were disagreeing about, but I think we can arrive at some conclusions about the category of their disagreement just by process of elimination. So let's see what we can get out of this. First of all, we see that Paul says, You belong to the Lord. That means that their disagreement must not be about the dogma. This is not a salvation issue. They both belong to the Lord. That can't be it. I don't think they're disagreeing about doctrine either. Because whenever Paul encounters false doctrine, he confronts it. Every time when he hears about false doctrine and false teachers and people teaching something that goes against sound teaching, he confronts it in his letters and says, here's the truth. Here's what you really need to believe. I don't even think this probably had to do with convictions. And I'm not as convinced about this one. Maybe it was a conviction that they disagreed over. But here's the thing. When Paul heard about conflicting convictions in the church in Rome or in the church in, uh, in Corinthians, in Corinth, he, had, um, he he talked with them about their convictions and explained to them how they could still agree with each other even though they had those different convictions. And here, he doesn't use any of that language He doesn't say that this is something where both of you are right and and you just need to learn how. He just says, settle your disagreement. Settle your dispute. He doesn't say who's right, he doesn't say who's wrong, he doesn't use any of that conviction language. And so I think that probably, probably this is some kind of a preference. It doesn't really matter, but it's clearly not dogma or doctrine. Clearly this is some kind of a preference issue or maybe conviction that they are disagreeing over. And it points us back to earlier in the letter, to chapter two, verse three the next verse in our passage, where he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, one thing I want you to notice here is that Paul acknowledges that we are going to have different interests, and that's okay. He says, don't look out for just your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That means you're going to have different things that you want to pursue, different things that you have a preference for, different things you want to see happen. And he's not saying you all have to align. They have to be the same preferences. He's not saying it has to be uniform across the board. He's saying it is okay for there to be different interests, but you have to look out for other people's interests. You shouldn't treat your interests as more important than anyone else's. See, when Paul is saying that we should think the same thing and be of one mind, a couple of verses earlier, he's not saying that all of our preferences have to be exactly the same. He's saying that even with our different interests, we should ultimately agree on the most important things. We should be like-minded. We should agree on how we treat each other. One of the commentaries I read this week had a great statement about this from David Garland. He put it this way. The Philippians thinking is to be governed by the example they have in Christ, by his mindset. It means that their thinking, motivations, feelings, and actions are directed by the same thing, Christ's loving sacrifice for others. The unity that Paul teaches is at a higher level than simply agreeing on all of our preferences. It's not just about we have to line up in everything we we, believe we have as a preference and all of our interests. It's okay for those to be different. The unity is at a higher level. It's a unity that comes from the same source. It's thinking the same thing about something higher. It comes from the attitude of Jesus Christ that should impact our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, even though these, those things at times may be different. We think the same thing. About each other in Christ. We think the same thing about the gospel. We think the same thing about Jesus and the attitude that comes from trusting in Jesus. And this is an important message for some of us, especially I think about how many of us are going to be stuck inside a lot more. We're not going to have as many things to go to. We're going to be lonely. We're going to be contemplating our lives, thinking about, about our, uh, everything that we do and our, our skills and our gifts and abilities. And we're going to have a lot of time on our hands, some of us. And in the process of that, sometimes we can start to feel very lonely and very discouraged and very isolated. We might see other people post things online and we think, oh, I wish I could go do something like that right now. Or, oh, I wish I had friends that would do that for me as we read about those things and see pictures of them. And we need to remember that it's okay to be different. God made you different on purpose, With all your preferences and all your skills and all your abilities, each one of us is very unique, and that's the way God wants it. God loves diversity in his creation. God doesn't want you to be exactly the same as everyone else. It's okay that we all have different preferences. It's okay that you aren't like everyone else around you or everyone else at church. The Bible says in Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. And knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Listen, God is a creative builder. He made each one of us unique. Not only that, but if you trusted in Jesus, when you did that, he gave you a unique set of spiritual gifts. Isn't that interesting? When you trust in Jesus Christ, he doesn't give us all the same spiritual gift. He gives different spiritual gifts to different people, and so the, the result of that is that your combination of physical attributes and mental attributes and emotional attributes and your personality and your spiritual gifting, and all of those things come together to form something that is so incredibly unique. There's only one of you. There's only one that has that combination, and you have to understand that that is exactly how God designed it. He designed you to be unique both physically and spiritually and so God designed and celebrates our differences. God loves creativity. He's a logical God too, he's a God of order too, but he he loves he values diversity. He didn't make just one animal. He made lots of them. Really incredibly creative and diverse different types of animals. You look at all the animals that he made all the way down from microbes to giant blue whales and dinosaurs in the past and everything in between. It's incredible how we see the diversity and creativity of our God in creation all around us. Now imagine if you were to take an artist like Michelangelo and tell him that for the rest of his life, he could only use one color to paint with. I don't think he'd be a big fan of that. One company did an interesting experiment with two grand pianos. They took one piano and left it the same. And they took an identical piano, and they took all the parts out of it, and they reconstructed it so that the entire keyboard, all 88 keys, were just tuned to middle C. So you have a normal piano over on this side, and then if you turn around, you have the same looking piano, but every single note plays the same note. Every single key plays a middle C. And then they took a a pianist, a world-class pianist, and they brought him in and they had him play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. And he starts playing on the normal piano, piano, and it's an incredible uh, song, and it's just amazing, beautiful piece that he plays. And then he turns around and plays the exact same thing on the piano that is all tuned to the same note. It didn't sound like anything beautiful. It just sounded like the same note hit over and over and over and over again. There was no diversity to it. There was no creativity to it. There was no, even though all the components were there, he was playing the same things as far as the different places of the keys, but it didn't sound amazing because there were no differences between the notes. And I think that's how God views us as people. It's not that he wants us to all be the same. He wants us to be unified even though we aren't the same, even though he didn't create us the same. I think God actually loves our different preferences. I think he loves the fact that his children are into different things. Just like when I look at my kids and I see one that's into this sort of a hobby and another that's into this sort of hobby and I love the fact that they're different and I love to work with this one on this thing and, and that one on and that thing and to see their different personalities develop and as a father, I look at that and I value that and I treasure that. I love the differences in my kids. I think God looks at us the exact same way. And he looks at his children and thinks, I just love the differences in this. Now, if they could all just get along. It's the same thing I think as a dad. If they could all just get along with their differences, just love each other. And I think that's God's message to us and what Paul is saying to us. Our preferences form this rich, beautiful, diverse tapestry that is God's family. We need to learn to value that just as God does. But if our preferences are good, if it's a good thing that we have these different perspectives and if our differences are good, then how do we avoid the selfishness and the caring about ourselves so much that Paul was talking about earlier? There are a couple of things I want to leave you with, a couple of thoughts about our preferences that I, that I think are the reasons sometimes these become problems for us. The first one is that preferences become problems when we only care about ours. Notice that Paul says doesn't say you can't have your own interests. He doesn't say not to care about your interests. He just says, don't treat your interest as more important than other people's interests. Don't put yourself first. Don't be selfish. Don't think that your way is always the best way or the only way. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't share our preferences, that we can't talk about them and communicate them to each other, that we can't be open and honest about them. We just need to understand what bucket they go in. How important is this preference compared to some of the other things that we might agree on, even though I disagree on some of our preferences? We need to hold our dogma tightly and hold on to our preferences loosely. When I was in college, one of my Christian professors offered to give me a ride across the campus. And as I got into the car, he reached over to turn on the radio and then he stopped. And he turned to me and he asked me if I was okay With the type of music he was going to play. It really caught me off guard because no one had ever asked me this question before. Of course, that's fine. I I listened to that too. But I realized what he was doing in that moment was right what Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 2. He was putting my interests above his interests. In fact, he was even being careful to consider the fact that maybe what he considered a preference, one style of music or another, I may be considered a conviction. And I might have some spiritual value that I put in that because of something that I see or that the Holy Spirit has prompted in me. And so he was being cautious about that to not demand his own way, even though it was his car. He was doing me a favor by giving me a ride. He didn't have to do any of that. And yet he was putting my interests above his. That's what Paul is talking about. Treat others as better than yourselves, even when you have every right to demand your own way. Preferences become problems when we only care about ours. One other thing, preferences become problems when we assign them spiritual value. When they're really just a preference and we try to give them spiritual value, oftentimes it's because we want other people to take our preference more seriously. We want other people to do what we want them to do. And so we we start to try to give them some sort of spiritual value. And I think that most of the belief division that happens in churches happens because someone takes a preference or maybe a conviction and elevates it to be like a doctrine or maybe a dogma. It's so easy to do with our preferences. I like this thing. I like this type of dress. I like this type of music. I like this type of coffee, whatever it is. And maybe I can come up with sort of a spiritual reason for it. And then I try to present that to other people so that they will align with my, really it's a preference, but I've given it spiritual value that it doesn't deserve. What I've found is that sometimes these people will go around trying to convert people to their way of thinking, to whatever their preference is. And when they do that, they're often not asking people so that they can understand what they believe or their view or their preferences. They're not even asking about other people's interests. They're just going around trying to spread their own interests, like a, like a campaign. They're on the war path to try to get everybody on board with what they want to see happen. And so sometimes they try to add some sort of spiritual value to their preference to make it sound like if you disagree with my preference, then you're going against some sort of spiritual principle. I really believe that understanding the buckets of belief helps us to avoid those errors. It helps us to put our beliefs, our preferences, our interests, our views and perspectives into their proper place. So that we don't end up treating others as less, but we treat others as better. So that we don't walk around thinking that our preferences or our convictions are more important than someone else's. But we spend time getting to know them. We care about them. We value them. We listen to them. And we can have a a respectful dialogue with them, even though we might disagree. We all need to remember that if we belong to the Lord, like Euodia and Syntyche, if we belong to the Lord, the gospel comes first. That's the most important thing. That's the thing that we can agree on above all else. In fact, we should start there. I watched a a clip one time of a group of pastors that came together. And this group of pastors were about to talk about some theological issues that they were all in disagreement on. They all came from different perspectives. And one of the pastors, as they got this started, said, hey, before we do this, I know you weren't expecting this. I know you didn't think this was going to go this way, but I just want to spend a few minutes talking about something we all agree on, and that is the gospel. And for the next few minutes, they each went around and shared their perspective of the gospel, wording it in a little different way, but the same exact core beliefs. And they all were united around that and passionate about that. And what a perfect picture that is of the conversations that you and I should have. We can get together and say, hey, we disagree about this preference issue, but we agree on the gospel. We disagree about this conviction issue, but we agree about the gospel. And that's what unites us together. We need to put our preferences and convictions in perspective, and be willing to walk away from a conversation agreeing to disagree, to not have this mindset that we need to somehow convert everyone or convince everyone to change to our way of thinking. We need to be willing to have the dialogue where the goal at the end is not to walk away where everyone's on the same page, but to walk away where everyone felt like they were loved and heard, where we're able to have a respectful conversation. And we didn't shut each other down just because we had some disagreement over preferences and convictions. And of course, we need to remember that what unites us as followers of Jesus, what keeps us undivided is the gospel, the core of what we believe. And here at First Free Church, it is our doctrine. We we are in agreement on that. If you are a member of this church, you have signed on to that agreement. Let's keep that the main thing. Let's focus on that more than anything else. Let's make sure that the gospel makes its way into our conversations more than our preferences and our convictions. And that is going to help us stay united. That is gonna help us keep from being selfish. Hey, as we close today, I know it's been an unusual service. It has been for me too. But we want you to be able to respond in a couple of ways. So we've put together a couple things that you can do right now. Normally we would have a prayer team up front at the end. We don't have that now. And so if you want to, you can go to efree.org/prayer or since that website has been having trouble, you can go to the alternate website, onehub.church, o n e hub.church. And if you go there, there is a link to submit a prayer request. Our prayer team is going to be online this week, late this week. We would love to pray for you. And if you have any questions about the series, at the end of this message, we were supposed to have a question and answer time where you were able to ask, and and we would talk about the buckets in in more detail based on what you wanted to know about, but we can't do that today. So let's do that online too. This is my email address. If you have a question about the buckets of belief, the undivided series, dogma, doctrine, conviction, preference, I'd be happy to answer your questions. Just email me at pastor at efree.org. Whatever else, remember church that we are a body of Christ together. Different parts that God has brought together, different preferences, different views, different beliefs. Let's make absolutely certain that we stay united, that we operate in harmony with each other, even though we may have some differences. I'm gonna ask if you would just bow your heads with me wherever you're at, close your eyes. Let's focus on God for a minute. Let's pray to Him and ask Him to help us stay undivided, to help us stay united, particularly at a time when we are facing so many difficulties and challenges. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, for what it teaches us. And God, I wanna apologize for how many times I have neglected to put others' interests ahead of my own. It seems like a daily struggle that I have, something that I wrestle with, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that can resonate with that, that have the same issue, whether they're young or old, We all have this tendency to be selfish. And so God, I just pray that you would help us. Help us to remember in those moments where we're tempted to put our preference first, to think about the other person, to do what that professor did for me a long time ago and to just stop for a minute and to think, hey, they might have a different view here. They might have a different perspective. Maybe it's just a preference. Maybe it's a conviction for them. Help us, Lord, as a church, to have that kind of mindset so that not only would we have greater unity with each other, but also when other people see us interact when they get to know us when they come into our church or they come to one of our groups or one of our events or whatever it is when they see us out in the community and they see the way we treat each other they would say wow there's something different about those people because even though they have differences and disagreements even they handle them in such an awesome way in such a loving way and and the love the bond that, that is between them is so much stronger than any of the differences that they have that's a really unique thing in this world that's a gift that you've given us Help us to hold on to that, to claim that, to live that out in our community, especially over the next few weeks. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, amen.